from the EBKV studios in Philadelphia, Pennsylvania, you're listening to Flyers AD on Brotherly Pod with your hosts, Anthony DeMarco and Daniel Lesh. Everybody, welcome to Flyers AD, the Thanksgiving Day edition, United States Thanksgiving anyway. Um, we are going to talk the recent Flyer success, but first let me introduce my co-host, Anthony DeMarco. Anthony, what's going on? Pretty good, man. Uh, happy Thanksgiving. Obviously, it's just a regular work day for us here up in <laughs> Canada, but uh, hope you guys enjoy some turkey. Yeah, I will be, yeah, I will uh, be uh, loading up on that later, that. but... Given it's only 9 a.m. here, we are going to uh, break down some recent flyers. They are 13-7-5 on the season through 25 games, 31 points. They currently hold the second wild card spot. Playing pretty well, all things considered. And I think that has been, more often than not, the key to the season is they're losing some games or not scoring a whole lot but for the most part they are playing a very very strong system and that is leading them to wins like we saw last night against Columbus yeah well you know ever since that 7-1 dropping loss against the Penguins the Flyers are 8-2 and 4 which is basically their record in November and any way you slice it getting 20 out of a possible 28 points is elite level company has it been in the prettiest of fashions? No. Could they have get, gained some more points and with uh, if they hadn't blown loss, leads late in the third period and lost in overtime? Yeah, they could have gained some more. Should they have maybe gotten some more ROWs? Yeah, but the thing is, is that this is a 101-point pace team right now. The last 14 games is 114 points. And any way you slice it, that gets you in the playoffs. So there's a lot of things that could be, you know, improved to this point, obviously more consistent offense. But at this point, that's probably the only thing to really harp on this team because defensively it's as good as it's been since 2010-11. And I just don't really see a problem or a flaw in their structure, anything on the defensive side of the puck. Their PK is elite level right now, at least in my mind. Their forwards are all buying into the back check. But they're just lacking some offense, and I think if it had not been for that lack of offense through the early parts of this season, and guys like JVR and Borchek were going as expected, this team would have at least an extra two or three wins. That's kind of why I'm not panicking right now. They're playing a very solid game. They're still finding ways to get points out of game, either winning or, or via overtime, but if they could start finding consistent offense from anybody, anybody on the team could start scoring with any kind of regularity, you know, this could be a very, very dangerous team all of a sudden. And it's just a matter of finding that that one person that's going to start scoring. And uh, for the most part, they have not seen anybody do that on a consistent basis this season. Well, that's it. You know, like early in the season, it was guys like Konechny and Limblom who were really scoring a lot. Then you got a bit of a hot streak from Claude Giroux when Morgan Frost came up. 
you know, Kevin Hayes and Joel Farabee had a good two or three games when they were paired, paired together early on in Farabee's recall in October. But you're kind of getting goals from up and down the lineup right now. Like Scott Lawton got his first of the year. Tyler Pitlick scores again, which honestly, he's been one of the best flyers, obviously, in minute ice time. He only played 11 minutes or so last night. But you can see Pitlick's moving up in the lineup in tight games. Last night, he was on the ice trying to defend that lead with less than a minute and a half left. In the game prior, he took Joel Farabee's spot on the third line. And what you're seeing here, at least in my mind, is that all the depth players are pulling their weight. All the depth guys are playing well. And we haven't seen that in years past. You know, we had last year guys like Phil Veroni and Corbin Knight. Before that, Pierre-Edouard Belmar and Chris Van Develde, Dale Weiss, Yori Leterre. All the depth players were subpar. And that's what really dragged this team down. But now you have all these depth guys that Fletcher brought in, in Hayes, in Pitlick, in Braun, you know, and they're all doing what is asked of them and what's expected of them. And that's what's compensated for the lack of offense from the, quote, star players to this point. Yeah, it's been relatively consistent. We got uh, Oscar Lindbaum leads the team with nine goals. Giroux and Kennedy both have eight. Couturier has seven. Voracek has six. Hayes has six. Provorov is five and Reamsteig is four. You know, it's not coming from one person, but it is coming from a collective team effort. And and again, if one of these players could just kind of jump ahead of the pack here and start carrying them, and they have all this scoring from all these different players, I mean, this is a very dangerous team in the making if somebody can start scoring goals. Well, that, that's it, because if you look at a lot of the losses that they've had, like the shootout loss to Washington when they lost 2-1, you know, if they get one good play from a star player, they at least, they maybe get that win. You know, the dreadful loss to Ottawa when they lost 2-1 in regulation, I was at that game. You know, even though they played awful, that was a still tightly checked game. And if one star player had made a move, they salvaged at least a point. The game against Calgary, you know, they lose 3-2 in a shootout. You know, it's the same thing. It was a common theme. So, you know, they lost, I would say, at least three or four points where they were one goal away from, you know, gaining that. So just to say what they've been able to accomplish without consistent offense from star guys is really impressive to this point. We counted on the Angry Negative show. I think there was 11 games this season where they've scored two or fewer goals, which is relatively unacceptable given all the star power on this team. You know, in theory, just looking at the roster, there's a ton of firepower here, and they're not scoring. But uh, they, they are finding ways to play. You know, their defense has been strong. Their goaltending has been more than acceptable, uh, especially in November once uh, they kind of got over that early hump in October there. But for the most part, again, the team is playing a very, very solid style of hockey. I mean, there's not a whole lot to complain about with the exception of the lack of scoring from your $8 million guys. I mean, other than that, I really like the game that they're playing more often than not. Well, and I think that the most impressive thing is the defensive game because the current pairs that they have right now, you know, obviously there's not much that can be said about Provorov and Niskin. They've been rock solid all year, especially Provorov. That guy's playing, you know, in my mind, Norris caliber hockey right now, especially now that he's chipping in with offense. He's averaging, I believe, at least leading into last night, the most shifts per game in the NHL, almost at 31. 
you know, Niskanen has just been absolutely incredible. He's, you know, I've said it many times, he's brought like a kind of Mark Streit slash Kimo Timonen-esque feel to this team, a vet who is more than adequate to play tough minutes. But then you look at a guy like Justin Braun, who I defended since the day one he got here, and finally he's playing to, you know, what I have always said he is, and he got split from Shane Gossespierre. He looks 10 years younger. Sanheim has been playing more consistently. Haig and Myers are a more than adequate third pairing. So, and that kind of couples in with the defense, uh, with the penalty kill as well. Penalty kill has been fantastic. You know, Michael Roffel, Tyler Pitt, like Kevin Hayes, they've all brought what, you know, what was expected of them. And so, yeah, anything on the defensive side of the puck right now is just truly amazing. And it's a breath of fresh air because, you know, the Flyers' longstanding issue has been their defensive game and structure. Their defensive pairs over the last three games have been Provorov, Niskanen, Sanheim, Braun, and Haig, and Myers. And that leads us to Shane Gostas bear scratching. He's been out the last three games, and considering they keep winning since he's been out, I don't think he's going to come back in anytime soon, which is great news uh, because he, he's been a huge thorn in the side of the Flyers' defense, not scoring goals, not very good at playing defense. He has, uh, I believe it's one goal and five assists through 22 games. I'm glad he's sitting. We ran through some numbers on the Angry Negative show. This was Monday night, so I'm sure they may be even a little more out of date since. 90 defensemen uh, throughout the NHL, 90 defensemen have more goals. 94 have more points. 66 have more shots on goal. He was ranked 85th in points per game. He was ranked uh, 47th in power play points per 60 minutes. And he was ranked 205th in even strength points uh, per 60 as well. So that is your top offensive defenseman, quote-unquote being a mediocre player that 90 defensemen in the league are better than well i got i, I got into like um just a bit of a conversation last night with your good friend brad keffer dan oh, but yeah. <laughs> but like he was advocating for goss's bear to come back in the lineup for actually myers instead of hag so that was kind of a breath of fresh air that even the analytics people are starting to realize that hag is a solid third pairing guy and he mentioned something that I didn't necessarily disagree with. And he said, you know, given how putrid the power plays look, they could use a Shane Goss's beard to come in. And he's not wrong that the power play is probably the biggest concern on this team, which kind of ties into the lack of offense. But at the same time is why are we thinking that Goss's beard is going to solve this? He got all of last season, 20 games this season, Alain Vigneault and the coaching staff gave him every chance to succeed. He played with Justin Braun. He played with Robert Haig. He played, I believe, a game or two with Phil Myers. He He's not doing it. And if Shane Gossespear is not producing offense, then he's next to useless in this lineup. You know, even when he broke in and even when he had that 60-plus point season, I was never the big Shane Gossespear fan because – I just never truly saw him as an everyday top four defenseman. I thought that it was going to die out and it wasn't, it wasn't sustainable the way he was playing and the way he was producing. But then again, I never thought he would become this. But I just don't see right now how you bring Gossespierre back in the lineup. Sure, you could make the case to switch him and Myers out. But just given Meyer's size, the fact that Meyer shoots right, and I think it's really helped the defense this year, having a left-right on each pair, 
which we haven't seen in Philadelphia in close to two decades. And, you know, Myers plays the penalty kill. And sure, he makes mistakes, but I, I just don't see the point of fixing what's not broken. Uh, even our uh, friend Ted put out a bar graph yesterday that had Goss's beer ranked significantly worse than Robert Haig. And uh, it's, it's, it is uh, delightful to see these analytic people have to admit that Robert Haig is playing perfectly fine. And, uh, yeah, the, the, the thing with Gostas Bear there is everyone's just going to assume that he's he's the 20-goal the, the, the scorer, 65-point guy, when in reality, I just don't think that's true. And I think that's a systemic problem with a lot of these fans about most of these guys. JVR, I had somebody earlier in the week tell me, well, you know JVR is still going to score 30 goals this season, right? I'm, uh, we're 25 games into the season and he has four goals. You know, do you realize the kind of tear this asshole is going to have to go on if he wants to score 30 goals? You know, I, I just, I, I don't know where people are getting the idea that they're just going to magically come back. And I guess Gostas Bear, of course he's good, Daniel. That's why he's going to come back. But, you know, he's 37 shots on goal. 37. That's fourth in defenseman on his own team. Niskanen, Sanheim, and Progrov all have far more than he does. Just, I, I don't see a whole lot of positives in Goss's Bear game. When he's not scoring, which he's not doing, he's not a good defenseman. You know, he struggled all season. They finally benched him. And Robert Haig's been perfectly fine in his place. You know, theoretically, you have Provorov, Sanheim, and Myers who can all generate offense at about the same level, if not higher, then Goss's Bear can, and they're all better defensively for the most part. Maybe Myers has the hiccups here and there, but, you know, Goss's Bear is not the be-all, end-all of this blue line, and at the time being, he's sitting in the press box, and that's where he should be. Is it not funny that, you know, for guys like you and me, who we actually watch the game and formulate our own opinions, it didn't take a rocket scientist to figure out, like, Goss Spear came out, and since he's come out, the Flyers' defense has been as solid as it's been all season long. But it takes, you know, the team being as good as it is for the analytics people to still go back and rely on their spreadsheets mm -hmm. to, to tell them, like, oh, Hag is actually better than Goss Spear. And it's just crazy because it you just watch the game, and at least when I watch defensemen, for the most part, unless we're talking about a Shane Gossespierre as player or an Eric Carlson, one of these defensemen who, you know, his his you know, his go-to is to bring offensive flashes and everything. If you don't notice defensemen, nine times out of ten it's a good thing. I don't notice Robert Head. I don't notice Justin Braun. Phil Myers, I sometimes do. For the most part lately, I haven't noticed Travis Sanheim. It's hard to not notice Niskanen and Provorov because they're on the ice almost half the game. But what I'm getting at is, is that you don't need spreadsheets to tell you what the problem is. You know, people were crapping on Hag early in the season. Who was his partner? Gossespierre. People were crapping on Braun a mere two, three weeks ago. Who was his partner? Gossespierre. We can live with the problems that Gossespierre makes if he's putting up points, if he's ripping home slap shots on the power play, if he's generating offense. But when the only positive Shane Gossespierre brings to the team is that he's able to skate the puck from behind his own net out to center, that's not enough for me. And as of right now, I don't know if they're actively trying to shop Shane Gossespierre. Obviously, there's that rumor that came out, which I don't believe is true, because I still like the fact that the Flyers have a Shane Gossespierre as a number seven, 
and that truly is a luxury. But people have to realize that if he does get traded, it's not going to be for anything, you know, sexy. It's not going to be a great addition. You know, I got laughed at when I said that he may have been traded in the offseason one for one for Andrew Shaw. And if you look back on that now, and in hindsight, obviously it's 2020, but I make that trade every day right now because Andrew Shaw would be a type of guy that the Flyers could use. And Gossett Spears' value has only plummeted since this season began. Uh, Andrew Shaw has four more points to Shane Gostaspear. <laughs> Two more goals than Shane Gostaspear, too. My God. But, uh, yeah, I, I don't know what the fascination with Gostaspear is. I mean, even when he was at his peak, it's not like this is – it's not like he was Eric Carlson. You know, he was a good offensive defenseman who is a disaster in his own end. And I just don't get it. I, I think – I put on Twitter the other day, and I think it formulated the best. People hate Robert Haig because he was bad in the past, and people like Shane Gostaspear because he was good in the past. And I think they're still holding on to that, despite the reality that the tables have turned. You know, Haig is a perfectly fine defenseman, and Gostaspear is a liability when he's not scoring goals. And I think, we were talking about some of the analytic people, I think people are starting to realize that, and now that Haig is in and starting to see more ice time, uh, I think they're going to have a bigger chance to realize that. But I don't think the mindset of the fans of Gostas Bear is a 65-point guy, I don't think that's going to go away anytime soon. Uh, but I guess it's just something you got to live with. Well, it's, you know, I understand why they rely on the past. And you know what, for the last, what, four or five miserable years, Goss's beer was, for the most part, one of the only bright spots. And Hag, a lot of times, was, you know, deployed over his head under Dave Haxtall, and he was exposed a lot. So I get why we, why we harp on the past. You know, it was the same thing when they signed Chris Stewart. Like, oh, here we go again, and Yori Laterra and Dale Weiss, and, you know, everyone was crying about it. And what did we say, Dan? Chris Stewart has barely played a game. You know, he played, what, four or five to the date now? He hasn't seen a game since they, uh, I don't even know. I think it's been at least two weeks. But my point is, is like everyone's scarred from the past. They're scarred from Dave Haxtell and Ron Haxtell. And I get it. But the future is basically now. And the team is good. The depth players are good. Robert Hag is a perfectly fine number six defenseman. Chris Stewart is a more than adequate guy to be in the be a locker room guy and be a 13th forward. You know, stop harping on the past so much. It's a different team, but it's a different team and some players aren't going to adapt as well. And clearly Shane Gossesbeer has not been able to do that. He's rumored to be a bit of a head case. You've seen it now. And it's not like he, you know, he fucked up once and got banished to the press box. Like Alain stuck with him. He gave him a ton of offensive mitts, deployed him in favorable matchups, started the most in the offensive zone, consistently on the top power play for the most part, and he's just not getting it done. So maybe it's time that we realize that to leave the past in the past and just move forward. And, you know, right now, even if Shane Gossespierre isn't part of the plan moving forward, I'm okay with it because this team is winning. So I don't get why people refuse to accept the reality when the reality, for the most part, is better than the past. Yeah, 
You know, Gostivere was kind of the first. I believe he was probably the first, maybe the second. He was the first defenseman, maybe second, third player overall from this rebuilding era, this Hextall era to come up and make the roster. And he did have that 60-point season, and he had 17 goals or whatever it was his rookie year. So I get it. But I, I think I think Elaine Mio probably called out Gostisbehere more than anybody by name this season. It happened like four or five times. And there was, when he first got scratched, they said that, you know, they gave him chance. They were letting him work through it. They were giving him the opportunity to work through it. And it clearly never turned around. And Gostisbehere gave a quote the other day that's like, oh, I know I'm a one-of-a-kind player, and I just got to get my shit together, and this and that. And then the the trade rumor broke yesterday by some bullshit site that, oh, he's tired of being benched, and he demanded a trade. And I laughed at that originally, but I also thought, I'm like, man, this totally seems like something Gostisbehere would do. But um, I, I don't think there's any substance, uh, substance to that trade rumor at this point. But, um, you know, he's been given every opportunity in the book. He's played with pretty much everybody over the last you know, this season and really even last year too. So I don't know what to say at this point. I don't think that there's a real future for him here, especially if Myers takes off, which he has struggled to do at the NHL level thus far. But, you know, for the time being, the six that are playing look like the six. And until the Flyers lose a couple here and there, I don't think we're going to see Gosses Bear in, uh, at least for the next few games. Well, it's it's because, and this goes back to you know what I my thought process on him even two years ago when he was playing well that you saw guys who were coming and the first season that Provorov broke in he surpassed Gosses beyond the depth chart. It took him a while, but he got there fairly quickly. Then Sanheim came in, and as soon as Dave Haxtell got booted to the curb, thank God, you know he took off and was playing better than Shane Gosses beer. Bill Myers, you know, it's his first full NHL season, and he's shown flashes of it. And at the bare minimum, he's on equal footing, but I still think he's a bit better than him. And he's a right shot, so obviously that plays ahead of him. And then you bring in a guy like Matt Niskanen to provide a vet presence, and he's just been absolutely fantastic this year. And I don't see a a world where the Flyers keep a defenseman long-term and pay him close to $5 million, 4.5 mil, to be a power play specialist on the third pairing. But whatever, they went in this season because they could afford to do so. But he's not even that. But even if he was that, the Flyers weren't going to live and die with him long term here. And I think that's a big reason why they drafted a guy like Cam York, who brings a similar skill set to Shane Goss's beer. I thought as soon as they drafted Cam York, the writing was eventually going to be on the wall. Now even more so. But, you know, I remember, like, a few years ago when Matt Duchesne was, got put on the trade block and everything, and I was saying, like, man, I wouldn't mind if they packaged Shane Goss' spirit for Matt Duchesne. And, you know, now you're kind of seeing it. Maybe Matt Duchesne wasn't the answer and the Flyers were just desperately starved for offense at that time, but even when he was at his best, it wasn't hard to realize that he wasn't the future of this team defensively. Yeah, I mean, at this point, he's a depth defenseman who may or may not contribute offense and that just has not been the case lately he has not been scoring goals he's not been producing anything he hasn't even done anything flashy there hasn't even been that many opportunities he only has 37 shots on goal and sure his Corsi's high but Corsi accounts for every shot 
towards the net, whether that be blocked by the defenseman that's a foot in front of him or whether he takes a shot and it goes 10 feet wide of the net. And I think that's where these analytics lose me a little bit in terms of, oh, well, of course he's good, Daniel. Well, yeah, but, you know, in theory, Corsi generates chances offensively, but that just isn't the case, uh, for, especially for Shane Gossespear here. Even when he is on the power play and quarterback, and he just he, – he's not – there have been very few moments this season where I've been able to watch him and go, man, it looks like he he's on the verge of breaking out. You know, he's just it's the generic point shot that he's been taking for the past five years on the point, and everybody has figured out by now, and uh, it's just not working. I mean, he had nine goals last year. He only has one this year, and you know, I don't know. How, again, I don't know how much longer he's going to be scratched, but it doesn't seem like he's turning around anytime soon. I think even if he gets nine goals at this point, it, it would be a success, but. I, I really don't know what to make of Gosses Bear's future here, and I, I would assume that he is going to be on the block in the future. Obviously, I don't believe that bullshit rumor going around now, but, you know, in this offseason, the trade deadline, maybe the trade deadline, or maybe this offseason, when they have to move some contracts to, to sign these upcoming players, I think Gosses Bear may be one of the first people to go. Well, it's look around the league, and there's no defenseman who plays on a third pair that makes that kind of money. No, and no. I just I don't see it. And even if he was playing, let, let's just say he was he was on pace for a 45 point season, because I never thought it was realistic that he would repeat the 66 point season. But even if he was producing at a respectable amount, like it's just not feasible. He doesn't do enough all around his game to, you know, quantify him being paid that kind of money. And, you know, there's four defensemen, I think, that I'd be comfortable to say who are ahead of him on this team. And I think now you're starting to see that you can't just litter a team with prospects like in NHL 20 and everything should come, you know, you know, peaches and, you know, flowers. Because you you look at what Niskanen's brought to this team, you look at what Braun's brought to this team, and, you know, like... It shows the difference. You see the stability back there. And, you know, going forward, like, even if, let's say, Braun doesn't get re-signed and in two years from now, you know, Niskanen, you know, like, retires or moves on, like, I think it's still important that, like, okay, well, then you could replace him with Cam York and Shane Gossespierre, and then you could have a team of a bunch of 25-year-olds. Like, <laughs> it still wouldn't be good. Like, you would have to keep replacing them with vets. I think it's very important to have a nice balance in your on your team with vets and i think a big part of the flyers success this year is that they added guys like pitlick and hayes up front and braun and niskanen on the back end like all the players that fletcher brought in this year in the four i just mentioned have done their job like okay yes like let's separate the contract away from kevin hayes right now because i know everyone wants more offense but you know he's brought such a key element to this team you know and people don't realize the fact that they got a guy, a bona fide second-line center, to come in and play, you know, tough minutes. Obviously, he didn't play a lot last night because there was only one penalty that the Flyers took, but I know he's not scoring, and I knew that people were going to harp on him because he wasn't scoring, but you could, like, I cannot stress enough how important that guy has meant to this team. We, we talked about it a couple weeks back. Like, I was not Kevin Hayes' biggest fan. Uh, going into the summer when they signed him. I, I, I was, you know, <laughs> and I'm more than willing to sit here and admit that I was wrong. I love what Kevin Hayes is bringing to the table. And 
the thing that boggles my mind is, oh, he's not scoring. Well, you know, he's a 45-point guy more often than not. You know, last year was his quote-unquote breakout year. I believe he had 55 points or something. But before that, I mean, uh, 42, 44, 49, 36, 45. Like, this is a guy that he's pretty much on pace for what he's doing. He's had... A good stretch here lately. He has two goals and two assists in his last six games, which ended a 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, 7, 8, 9, 10, 11 game goalless streak, pointless streak. So, you know, he is coming around. And I, I think, and this is a case we just talked about with Ghost, where his course he's good. I think. Kevin Hayes has had a lot of really good opportunities, even when he's not scoring. He has been around the net, and he has been making noise. And, you know, whether it's a, a five-star save from the goaltender, or he whiffs on it, or it's close, or defense makes it, whatever, I think he has been generating more offensive chances than the goal column is leading to believe. Yeah, and, and like, obviously, like, the thing with Hayes is that you can live with him not putting up these points. Like, he's on base for 36 points because look at just the fact that, like, leave it aside that he's good in his own zone and he's good on the penalty kill and he's, you know, bounced up and down the lineup and being kind of just the problem solver line, you know, not as much as Couturier, but the same thing. But just the fact that he plays center and now you have a guy who I know everyone, you know, projects Frost as, you know, the first or second line center right now, but... The top two centers right now are Katorian Hayes. I don't care what anyone says, it's Katorian Hayes. I don't care what line they're on. But you could not have gone out and added a better second-line center this past summer than Kevin Hayes. Matt Duchesne was going to Nashville. Nazem Kadri, you could argue, is better offensively, but I don't think he fit the hole that the Flyers necessarily wanted. And the Flyers would have had to give up two significant roster pieces to get him. And I, I've seen some people say, like, oh, well, you know, Derek Broussard in New York. Like, no, Derek Broussard is playing behind Brock Nelson and Matthew Barzell on the third line. If Claude Giroux was still a first-line center and 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 producing like such and Sean Couturier was playing well, or let's say Couturier was playing the way he was and Nolan Patrick was playing like a number-two center, then, yes, maybe Derek Broussard would have been a fit. But they brought him in to be a second-line center because of Nolan Patrick's health and – his inconsistency offensively. They brought him in because Giroud didn't have, can't play center at a high level anymore. Kevin Hayes was brought in because the Flyers did not have an internal option to replace him. And they still don't long-term. Like, okay, Frost came in like a bat out of hell. He's cooled off. He's hanging. But you could be sure that if they didn't have Hayes to take away those hard minutes, he yeah. wouldn't have been playing as well as he has. You know, Lawton, I think it's been determined. He's better on the wing. You know, Rubsov and Vorobiev, I don't know if they'll ever be ready. Obviously, Rubsov has had the injury, and Vorobiev may be a tweener. But even when people harp on this contract long-term, it's like, well, what do you think is coming through the pipeline? Patrick may never play again. And as it's looking now, if you have Couture, Frost, and Hayes as your 1-2-3 down the middle going forward, it could be that way for the next five years because it's not like you have any blue-chip centers roaring up your organization. Yeah, they don't really have uh, anybody within the system to fix that. And we I don't think we've talked since Frost got called up. But um, Frost was called up. He had two goals and an assist his first two games. He was playing great. And... Exactly what I thought was going to happen has happened in the next three. He's got some offensive tricks up his sleeve. You kind of see it once or twice a game where he, he does something creative offensively. But for the most part, he's just a guy out there. 
And I believe I've been saying that for months now. That he was going to come up, he's just you know he he's got all the offensive talent in the world, and he's just not going to be able to hang. And, and Fairby is very much in the same boat, where you see it every once in a while. There's a flash of offensive brilliance, but and especially lately, he just has not been the same player that he was when he first got called up. You know, the 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 NHL is starting to own him. You're starting to see the defensive mistakes, and Frost. Uh, you, you really haven't seen a whole lot of mistakes from him, but you're also not seeing this bonafide Connor McDavid that everybody thought he was going to be during the first two games of his call-up. So I, I think the key there for Frost is going to just be, you know, kind of, they just have to keep protecting him. You know, they still have him with Jeroen Konechny, and I think that's the best case at this point. You know, maybe even though Konechny has gone a little cold scoring-wise, but they don't have a lot of, oppor- uh, not a lot of, a, not a lot of, not a lot of players that are scoring at a regular base. But, uh, you know, protecting Frost, I think, is the only way that they're going to find success with him at the NHL level at this point in time. Well, Faraby more so than Frost has, and again, like he got an assist last night, a beautiful setup on the Lawton goal, but you can see that I still believe he'd be best served for the AHL right now. Yep. Like, like you said, he they've been able to hang at this level, but you know we saw it in the game against uh, Vancouver that late in the game Tyler Pitt like replaced him on that third line, and it's not a bad thing. I'm not like saying that they shouldn't be here, but. They weren't going to come in and save the day. And I still, you know, I still like, um, what's the word I'm looking for? I still maintain that if Voracek, if Van Riemsdyk, if maybe, if Nolan Patrick was healthy, these two guys wouldn't be here. If Van Riemsdyk and Voracek were scoring a lot, they wouldn't be here. You know, that's why, like, when they kept Carson Torinsky, it was because they were banking on the guys who were supposed to score to score and they just need a guy who come in and play in hard on the forecheck but whatever they've come in they haven't hurt the team so i'm not complaining but i think you still see the importance of kevin hayes because you know my, my argument to a lot of people is like look the season started the salaries don't matter anymore and then people come back like well long term it's going <laughs> to screw the flyers and it's just like how is it going to screw the flyers the three centermen that are on the team right now are more likely than not going to be the three centermen for the next five years. Like, everyone seems to have this, like, thought engraved in their head that the Flyers have, like, seven Connor McDavid's, like, flying up through the pipeline, and I just don't see it. Like, any way you slice it, especially now that Nolan Patrick's future is up in the air, the Flyers, one way or another, would have had to add a centerman. And Kevin Hayes was the best available guy outside of Matt Duchesne, who was never coming here, that the Flyers could add. And did they overpay? Yeah, they did. But they also didn't give up anything off their roster. And he's coming and he's helped immediately. He's filled a void. And for people who are focusing in on just his offensive game, like you like separate the, the dollar value away from the player for a second. The guy has brought exactly what logical people like you and myself expected of him. And it's just you have to understand that this team's prospect system is not as good as Ron Hextall sold it to everyone. They have Frost, who still hasn't you know, reached that peak level that we all expect him to be. So in the short term, it's been so important that he's in here, is here. And even long term, it will be important because guys like Rubsov and Vorobiev and O'Brien, who knows if they'll ever even make the team. That's the, kind of the thing. Pretty much everybody worth a shit in the system right now is up. 
You know, Frost is here. I mean, Ratcliffe is probably the only one that is still down that has any kind of long-term potential. I, I don't know what Rubsov holds at this point. I think Vorobiev is nothing more than a tweener. But, uh, you know, Tor- uh, Torinsky and Bunneman are maybe serviceable fourth-line guys in the future. But for the time being, there's not that many guys left in the system that can come up and save the day that are, are I think, long-term stars. And, you know, I think it's too early to start predicting what Cam York and Bobby Brink are going to be. Uh, you know, Jay O'Brien has been a hit or miss kind of where he plays. He's, I think he's tearing it up this year in some off league, but never been able to sustain a success at a real competitive level. So I don't know here. I, I, people treated Morgan Frost like he was the fucking second coming of Wayne Gretzky when he got called up. And uh, I think in the future, I think both Frost and Farabee are going to be fine to – very good NHL players, but for the time being, there, like you said, there's no McDavid's here. There's no Jack Eichel. There's no Austin Matthew. There's no Rasmus Dahlin. There's no Miro Heiskanen. They're just these are just above average hockey players. They're good, not great, as Mike Milbury would say. You know, and and they're here. And Farabee and Frost are both hanging at the NHL level, and that's great and all. But at the end of the day, you know, they're not gonna put this team on their back and carry them at this point in time well and it's also like how many teams like have like three top line centermen that they drafted and developed and you know and all came up to their system like boston bruins they went out and got charlie Coyle. washington capitals they went out and got lars eller pittsburgh penguins they went out and got nick bugstead toronto maple Leafs had to go out and get tavares and alexander kerfoot you know these are all teams that they they're you know like they're top tier teams right now but you can't grow and develop every single one of your players not every player is going to work out and you've seen it now like all these guys that people were like clamoring for like Wade Allison, Nicole Kubel, Pascal Leberge like all these guys who were supposed to come save the day because they were drafted inside the top 60 or 70 and everyone thinks that second and third round picks automatically equate to serviceable NHL players. But what top nine forward, to your point, is left in the Flyers system? Besides Isaac Ratcliffe, like, I really don't know any. Like you said, it's way too early to even start to judge what Brink and Cam York are going to do. But York's even a defenseman. Like, People were under the impression, like, oh, well, even if Kevin A's helps now, like, long-term, they're going to need that money to pay the guys who are going to take his spot. Who's going to take his spot? In the next five years, what kid is going to take Kevin Hayes' spot? And now that, you know, it's come out that Fletcher knew about the Patrick uncertainty going back to May, it makes all the more sense. Because we don't know if Patrick's ever going to play again. You know, we, we just touched on Rubsov and O'Brien and Vorobiev. Lawton is a better suited centerman, like a, a better suited on the wing than a centerman. Like they needed another center. And like you said, like Frost has come up and maybe he'll be a fine player one day, but you don't want to throw the kid to the wolves right away. Hayes has eaten a lot of tough minutes. He's taken a lot of stress away from Sean Couture. Like you see it when they're defending leads. When they shorten the bench and Katori and Hayes are on every second shift, could you imagine if they didn't have Kevin Hayes? 
And they had maybe Scott Lawton having to play third-line center, which would have been the only case right now, even if you had Giroux at center. Like, I, I like I understand that the, the contract is rich. And in terms of offensive output, yeah, it is an overpayment. But you have to look beyond that and look at what the Flyers needed and that they didn't have the internal talent to fill that void. If we get seven more years of this Kevin Hayes, I'm totally fine with it. Well, it's because, like, Dan, like, you've been a big guy about this because you still have people bitching and moaning over the second and third round picks that they gave up to to get Justin Braun. Mm-hmm. And, like, you've been always kind of middle of the road on Justin Braun. So for all those people, like, A, how would you evaluate Justin Braun's play? And, two, what would you say to the Kevin Forties of the road who, of the world who are still crying about those draft picks? I was never a big draft guy, and, and I mean, it's just it's time to put your fucking pedal to the metal. If they trade every draft pick they have for the next three years, more fucking power to them, because it's going to help the team as is. Braun has had some hiccups, but who on this team hasn't? You know, especially the defenseman. We just did a 20-minute fucking segment on Shane Gostisbehere, you know, and it's just... Braun is a perfectly financial defenseman. He's going to do what he's paid to do. And, you know, giving up a draft pick for him, who cares? Did they get both those draft picks back anyway in some other trade down the line? I- I'm fairly certain they did. I need to look it up. I don't remember offhand. But, like, Braun is fine. They brought in. The defensemen have been fine. Kevin Ayes has been fine. Tyler Pitlick has been playing very well, especially lately. You know, he was got off to a relatively slow start, but he's been fine lately. Uh, who am I missing? Niskanen's been, you know, the hands-down number two defenseman on the team, only behind Ivan Provorov. You know, every move that Fletcher made this summer was the right move. And yes, I was very critical of the Kevin Hayes signing at the time, but I've gone on record multiple times now saying I was wrong, and he's probably my favorite flyer right now, not named Travis Konechny or Oscar Lindblom, and, or Sam Ram. But, you know, Braun is here and doing what he's supposed to be doing, and he's not the issue here. And I know people love to point fingers, you know, and now that the options are limited you know not the roster is not filled with uh, the Lateras of the world they do have to kind of of start pointing fingers at other players that maybe don't deserve it as well but listen I like every move that Fletcher made I still think it's the right call um and you know as far as a lot of these players go they're the only reason this team is succeeding right now because the old guard here the Voraceks and, and JVRs and Drews of the world aren't getting it done offensively so just, just like I was doing a bit of research while you're there. So let's look at all the second and third round picks under the Ron Hexall era, because these are the draft picks that were going to change the trajectory of the Flyers organization when they traded them for Braun. So Abe Kubel, Mark Friedman, Sandstrom, Matej Tomek, uh, Pascal Leberge, Carter Hart, Wade Allison, Carson Twarinski. Isaac Ratcliffe, Kirill, Kirill Istamenko, and Adam Ginning. Of all those players, I count Ratcliffe, Carter Hart, maybe Carson Twarinski as legitimate NHL players. And perhaps you can make a case for like Con, like maybe some other ones like Istamenko and Soundstrom maybe down the line, but. For the most part, all of these picks were hot garbage. You know, I remember 2016, everyone was cheering in the streets because they had three second-round picks. And LaBerge and Allison have been, you know, you know, nowhere to be found. So it's like 
what the fuck are you guys complaining about? The team is winning. The team is winning. You've had drafts, like high level, uh, like a high quantity amount of draft picks over the last five years, and the team was garbage. But you're still complaining about a second and third round pick? Like, I was on board for Ron Hextel, and I'm not trying to go down a Ron Hextel rabbit hole here, but I feel like I may a bit. But I was on board that he wanted to draft and develop and get rid of bad contracts. It was needed. It had to be done. But this whole thought process that you have to live and die by the draft and, you know, you can't go out and make a big addition is just absolutely preposterous. You know, he hit in the first round more often than not. Sanheim, Provorov, uh, Frost, Patrick, Farabee, you know, they are there. But beyond that, they're just a bunch of AHLers. I'll be Kubel at this point. I don't think stands much of a chance at the NHL. Mark Friedman, everybody raves about the guy, but I never saw it. I, I, certainly not at the, from the, at the NHL level. Sandstrom and uh, Ustminko are probably the backups of the future. But again, they're probably they're, they're both in the ECHL, and Ustminko has kind of found his footing. Sandstrom not so much. But you know, David Kasha's is around, and I like his game. But is it going to translate to a top nine role at the NHL? Probably not. You know, uh, who do we have? Torinsky and Bunneman again. Probably nothing more than fourth liners if they make it that far. Matthew Strom. Is just a guy. Shushko does seem to have some promise, but I have no idea what his ceiling is at this point. And, you know, some of the more recent ones, you know, Adam Ginning, I'm not even sure if they signed him. Uh, Wyatt Wiley and all these guys are just, they're just fellas. They're just guys. There's nothing, again, all of the talent that was drafted in this era, with the exception of Isaac Ratcliffe and the potential of those two goaltenders, is on the current NHL roster. You know, this pipeline emptied pretty quick. Now, granted, your NHL team is relatively young. Most of them are in their early 20s, so it's not a problem immediately, but it's not like there's a wealth of players here that could call up and play legitimate NHL minutes if need be. Well, because back from, let's say, 2014 to 2017, the Flyers were in a transition, and they had a lot of old guys on their roster that they were replacing, and therefore they needed a wealth of draft picks to get them the best shot at hitting. I was all for it. Like I said, they drafted, what, like nine times in the first round over the course of four drafts. They had a bunch of second-round picks. But it was because they were constantly flushing new talent in. You know, they were getting rid of older players like Schultz and Luke Shen and Michael Delzato. Obviously, it was mostly on the back end. Christ almighty. Yeah, you know, Evgeny Medvedev, Brandon Manning. You know, then up front, you had RJ Umberger, Belmar, Vandevelde. Like, all these guys that were... You know, they were just placeholders, and that's all they were. You know, Ryan White, who I actually really liked. But now there are very few placeholders left. And if they, if there are placeholders, they're on the bottom half of the lineup. Like, you could argue that Justin Braun and Robert Hager are placeholders, or Tyler Pitlick and maybe James Van Riemsdyk is a placeholder. But, you know, there's no, you know, spots available in the top nine and or bottom uh, top four defensemen. The goaltending is filled with hard. You know, Sanheim and Provorov and Myers are all here, to your point, Frost, Farabee. So you don't need to keep drafting at such a rapid pace because there's no players to flush out. Like you said, the team is young. They don't need to replace old, slow, irrelevant veterans anymore. 
Like, that's why, you know, you see teams trade draft picks when they're at this stage of an organization because they don't have placeholders that, that need to be replaced by younger players. It's the gradual steps to an organization. Like, sure, drafting a lot is fun and, you know, you know, flushing all these young guys in is great, but winning's better. Yep. I'm sorry. Like, I've, I've had enough of the drafting. Like, I was on board with it for three years. It had to be done. Ron Axel had a good half, first half of his tenure. He did what needed to be do, but like, be done. But this refusal to take the next step, and you see this team. Just by adding depth players, look how much better this team is. It's a good team. The only problem is, is that they did it a bit too late with the players that they had. Like, if this had been done even two years ago, in 2017-18, this team could have made some real noise when Voracek was still playing at a high level and Giroux had that monster 102-point season and Simmons was still somewhat irrelevant before he got traded away. They did it a bit too late, and this team is still acceptable. I think that they're trending towards an exceptional team. So it's you got to separate yourself away from all these draft picks. Like, look at Chicago when they won their three Stanley Cups. When's the last time Pittsburgh had a big blue-chip prospect come up? No, they have Teddy Bluegers and Zach Aston Reese's of the world riding shotgun with Sidney Crosby. Like, good teams, dynasties, make it work. They plug guys in. They don't rely on a thousand second and third round draft picks. Like, before this year, when was the last time Chicago had, like, a legitimate prospect outside of Kirby Dak? You know, like, when, when was it? I can't remember. When was the last time the Penguins, did the Penguins draft in the first round anytime recently? <laughs> uh, they did this year. Samuel Poulin. Outside of that, one, two, three, four. Last time they drafted in the first round outside of this past year was Kasperi Kapanen in 2014. Who they traded. Who they traded. Before that, it was <laughs> Derek Pouliot in 2012. Like Who they traded. Who they traded. Joseph Morrow in 2011, who I'm not even sure where he's playing these days. Boston? Who, who they traded. Bo Bennett, 2010. Traded. Uh, Simone Dupre in 2009. He's traded. over in Europe these days. He was a duck for a long time. Uh, Angelo Esposito in 2007. Who the fuck is that? Jordan Stahl in 2006. You want to know know a funny story about Angelo Esposito? What's that? Have you ever heard of Laval? uh, It's a city just north of Montreal, and they're actually home to the Canadians' farm team, the The Laval Rocket. So Laval is a pretty big city, and it's just north of Laval, of Montreal. Like maybe... 15, 20 minutes north of Montreal. And we just had a federal election, and Angelo Esposito is actually a conservative MP in Laval. Huh. So there's a good tidbit for tonight. There but, there's your fun fact of the day, everybody. But but no, that you bring a good point. Like It's like look, the Washington Capitals. Like What's the last like mega first-round pick that came in and made noise? Like Kuznetsov? I would think. Find out here. Washington Capitals draft pick history. Let's see. They had uh, Connor McMichael this past year. Alexander Alexenov. Alexiev, whatever you want to pronounce that, the year before. 
Uh, Lucas Johansson in 2016. Who the fuck is that? Ilya Samsonov. I guess it was substantial. Yeah. That was 2015. Uh, Jacob Verana in 2014. Andre Burakovsky, 2013. Philip Forsberg in 2012. I don't know how that played out. Uh, before that, Kuznetsov, 2010. Marcus Johansson, 2009. Anton Gustafsson in 2008. Like, it's been a long-ass time since they've... I guess they've had a couple here and there, but... Yeah, a legitimate star was 2010. There's Gunny Kuznetsov. Well, I'm happy that you brought up Philip Forsberg because remember we were talking in the summer like how if you were to trade a Joel Farabee or a Morgan Frost, let's say for Patrick Laine, even if they lived up to expectations, it wouldn't be the end of the world. And I remember, Dan, you wrote that big, massive 3,000-word <laughs> article on it. Yes. Like, the Philip Forsberg thing is a perfect example in my mind because that was a horrible trade. Horrible. They got Martin Arad, who was half-decent for them for a year or two, and Forsberg has had a great career. Did the organization crumble because of it? Nope. It happens. Like, you're not going to win every trade. It's not going to happen. You're going to lose some. But you have to make moves like this. You know, every single team that has won a Stanley Cup in recent memory has made, you know, a somewhat, you know, edgy trade leading up to it. Like, trading two first-round picks for Braden Shen wasn't exactly a home run for Doug Armstrong and the St. Louis Blues. But they did it. You know, the the Capitals went out and got TJ Oshie and won a Stanley Cup. Pittsburgh Penguins make trades every second day. You know, we just yeah. we just went out. They, they traded Casper Captain, who was their only first-round pick in how many years to get Phil Kessel? You know... Before that, the Chicago Blackhawks, every single trade deadline over their course of their three Stanley Cups, whether it be going out to get Antoine Vermette and giving up a first-round pick for him or what have you, like the Los Angeles Kings trading a first-round pick for Marion Gabrick or Jack Johnson, a first-round pick for Jeff Carter, like going out and getting Robin Regeer, like not all these trades are going to work out, but history tells us that when a team wins the Stanley Cup, before they win a Stanley Cup, they'll make a trade that could blow up in their face. The Boston Bruins trade a first-round pick for Tomas Caberlet in the spring that they won the Stanley Cup. Does anyone remember that they gave that pick up for Caberlet? Nope. God, we remember Thomas that they won. Caberlet. God, I've heard that name in years. Exactly. But we don't remember what you gave up to get there. We remember what happened when you got there. And, you know, my best friend is a Boston Bruins fan. And was the Thomas Caberlet trade good? No, it wasn't. Was it even good in the moment? No, because Caberlet didn't even play up to expectations. But you know what? You have to make these trades that sometimes press your better instinct. And you have to take risks to get to the promised land. And I maintain that the Flyers may have to make a risky trade to, you know, push their this team closer to potential Stanley Cup status. Yep. I think it's the last fingerprints Ron Hextall has on the team when it comes to trading because more often than not he was fleecing people left and right and you know the Niskanen trade was a perfect example of one that ultimately worked out very well for the Flyers but at the time everybody's freaking out because good is you know what was the 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 analytics darling last season and, and the bottom pair guy and everybody wanted him and they were afraid of Niskanen because he was older and he was making more money reality of the situation is that is the next step here is insulating this team, the young guys, and what's left of this veteran core that can still score, insulating them with talent to push them to the next level. You know, the Abe Kubels of the world are not 
the difference between a long cup run and failing miserably. They're not, go- you know, he, he doesn't hold that kind of potential to single-handedly steer the team. And I think people need to get over that very quickly. You know, the the, the Vorobievs and Rubsovs and what have you, whoever's left down there, to come up and and be the difference maker because it's not going to happen. You need to go outside the organization. You need to start reaching. And sure, I'm sure every trade is not going to work out perfectly. And I'm sure they're going to get burned once or twice. It happens to fucking everybody. All right? You know, this is not Peter Chiarelli. They're not going to get, you know, slapped in the face every time they make a move. But it's going to happen, and that is the next step. And if this team is in the playoff hunt in the middle of it come the trade deadline you may get your first taste of you know a a the buyer's mentality at the trade deadline for the first time since fucking christ knows when 2012 2013 maybe it's been a long time and i think fans are going to be cautious moving in because you know trading anybody at this point seems uh, like taboo within the organization within the fans anyway but in the long term it is the next step to making this team successful is finding outside help to kick these shitheads into gear and start making this team successful and that is how they're going to win a cup with outside help hopefully it's a good trade and hopefully it's with a good player and they can come in but if it's a bust it's not the end of the world it's a draft pick you move on with your life and uh that's that well, you know, I, I was just bringing up, like, the past cup winners to make, you know... No, hold big... that thought for a minute. I gotta... Oh, sorry, everybody. Uh, go ahead, Anthony. So, I was just talking about the St. Louis Blues and earlier cup winners who made big trades right before winning the cup, and I left out the biggest trade that St. Louis made, and it was the Ryan O'Reilly trade. And when they made that trade in the summer of 2018, a lot of people said that it was an overpayment. You know, they gave up two serviceable middle six forwards in Vladimir Savoka and Patrick Berglund, along with arguably their best prospect, Tage Thompson. And they went out and got Ryan O'Reilly, who at the time, at the time, was viewed as potentially an overpaid guy, had struggled with with, uh, the Sabres, for calling out the team after yet again missing the playoffs. How'd that work? I believe the all of last season. He won the con smite. Now that contract is considered a bargain. And that was a trade that I'm sure the Flyers kicked tires on under Ron Hextall. And they told them what the asking price was. And he had an anxiety attack and threw the phone at the wall. <laughs> like, it, it's like, and I'm not, you know, I'm not, you know, making fun of anxiety. But it, the thing is, is that that trade could have easily blown up in the face of Doug Armstrong. Easily. Giving up all that for a guy who was arguably overpaid, you know, could trading two first-round picks for Brian Shim blown up in his face? Yeah, it could have. Look at the two players that he gave up for him. Morgan Frost and Joel Farabee are good NHL players. But would he do that trade over again? It doesn't always have to be a fleece, and you see that with the Braden Shen trade. It's working out for the Flyers, and you could be damn sure the the Blues are happy with how it worked out. Like you said, Dan, it doesn't always have to be a fleece for it to be a good trade. Yeah, and I'm sure the Blues would do that Shen deal again if they had to. Just for because they want a fucking Stanley Cup! That's what it's about! It's not about savoring draft picks, and I'm sure they would love Morgan Frost and Ferryby in their system, but fuck! They won a cup! Who cares? <sighs> well, because I ask you, Dan, like, not for anything, but, like, 
what if the Flyers hadn't made that trade? Do you think they would arguably be better right now if they had Shen and not Frost and Farabee? It's something to think about. It is. Like, imagine if friend was, uh, friend, Shen was uh, <laughs> centering uh, Claude Giroux and Travis Konechny. You know, I, I always liked Braden Shen. Sure, he was inconsistent, but he was always pretty much good for 25 goals and Fuck 50 it. points. So is everybody else. So, uh... <laughs> <laughs> I, I, I don't know. Like, it's, yeah, we all love Joel Farabee and Morgan Frost, and they're, and they're the saviors of climate change and everything, but, like, it's... It's still something that I think about all the time. Like, and I know Ron Hextall, you know, as soon as the Flyers got a second, the won the, the lottery for the second overall, he was on the phone, you know, frantically trying to trade someone with a big salary. But, like, I don't know. Like, I still question whether or not that was the right move for this team. Well, time will tell, huh? Yeah, like, it, it's not a bad move, but, you know, like, I think people just think about, like, the trades that they made, like, when they traded Braden Coburn to the Tampa Bay Lightning for a first and a third in Gudis that eventually translated into Travis Konechny and what have you. And they, they just get infatuated with this trade that unless you're, you know, absorbing draft picks and trading the player with the higher salary, you automatically lose the deal. Yeah. And, and uh, it's again, it's going to be something that the fans are probably going to have a harsh reality with all these Ron Hextall disciples left. They're going to they're gonna have to face it because these trades are more than likely going to happen over the next coming couple of years here as this team continues to fight for it. And it could happen as early as this trade deadline if the Flyers are in a position where they feel like they're buyers. So, hey, it's always fun to see Flyers Twitter meltdown, right? Yeah, and, you know, there, I see a lot of people... You know, like hoping that the Flyers kick tires on Taylor Hall, who looks more and more likely will be traded at the deadline as he doesn't want to resign. And in my head, I'm just like, these guys are going to have a complete mental breakdown if a trade is made to get Taylor Hall. But because you can be sure one of their prospects is going back the other way. Um, I gotta get my fucking ass in gear, everybody. It is Thanksgiving here, so I gotta start getting ready for all that fun and bullshit that's coming up. But, uh, Anthony, where can people find you on Twitter? You can find me at adamarco25 or my work at the fourth period. And you can find me at Dan the Flyer fan at brotherlypuck at brotherly underscore pod. I will be back, uh, Wednesday night with Angry Jim for the Angry Negative show. Um, I think that's the only show until then. We do one on Monday. I don't know. We'll find out, everybody. Until then, uh, goodbye and good night.